Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask, where everyone has something they can teach you. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler. In this episode, we are going to explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. As a CPA for the past 30 years, wait, let me say 25 because that makes me sound younger. I have seen it all when it comes to money and emotions. And if you think I'm talking about my clients, I'm not. I'm talking about myself. My relationship with money has been, and sometimes still is, an emotional roller coaster. Maybe that's something you're also familiar with. Good news. You and I are not the only ones. Our next guest is going to share their money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges as well. Buckle your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Our next guest is Jay Scalette, a 17-year-old podcaster and entrepreneur. After starting his first podcast in March of 2021, he interviewed knowledgeable guests on topics ranging from personal improvement to finance and investing. Chase has worked with industry influencers like Natasha Grano and Michael Graziano, along with successful entrepreneurs like Ian Stanley. After joining the Teen Financial Freedom Team in August of 2021, he has continued to podcast and work with entrepreneurs. In addition to his podcasting track record, Chase has pursued a successful academic career and work at the family business for most of the year. He has also experimented with multiple different side hustles, including couch flipping and a lawn care business. Chase, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. So I just got to ask you, I know what cow tipping is, but I don't know what couch flipping is. (laughs) Is this a thing? What's going on? Couch flipping. So couch flipping is a little side hustle that I discovered by accident by a recommendation from a friend who watched a YouTube video at some point to do a thing. It's somewhat self-explanatory. Couch flipping is where you go in and you just try to buy a couch at a low price point and then just sell it at a higher one. And obviously it's a whole lot more complex (laughs) than that. That's the most basic way you could possibly explain it. Buy low, sell high. (laughs) Okay, there you go. I didn't know if you were like reupholstering. I don't know if you're cleaning it up. Yeah. You're just, you're flipping couches. Yeah. So essentially what I do is in my local area, I use Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, which ironically, you have to be 18 to use Facebook Marketplace. So I'm not sure, if, <laughs> going back to that, is it legal or not? It's probably fine. <laughs> um, I use my mom's Facebook Marketplace to find couches and I use Craigslist to find couches in like a 20, sometimes even 30 mile radius of my house that are selling for low price points that just from initial pictures look good. And then what I'll do is I will contact the seller, ask them if I can come by, look at the couch, et cetera. And I'll travel to wherever said couch is. Sometimes I get lucky and I'll have them within like 10 miles and it's like a nine minute mm-hmm. drive. But sometimes there's far out as 30 miles and I'm driving like 30, 45 minutes depending on traffic to go get these things. But I usually take my dad's truck and I pull either pull a trailer behind it or I just take the truck itself and I drive out to get this couch and I bring cash with me. Like if a couch is selling at 300, I'll bring like $200 in cash with me because (laughs) (laughs) it sounds bad because it sounds like I'm going out here to scam people. But in my experience, and we did this with my car too, like the car that I drive to this day, we showed up with when I when we bought my car, I think it was selling for eight grand and we showed up with seven in cash and just bought the car on spot at a thousand dollar discount because we had cash on the spot and we were buying up front. 
So I go with cash to these locations and I'll talk to homeowners and essentially just do everything in my power to bond with them. Like I'll show up to look at their couch and we'll end, I'll end up staying at people's houses for 20, 30 minutes and just talking to them because I'm a, I'm a sociable person. I'll be honest. I, I bond with people pretty easily and I'll offer 100 to 150 less than what their like price point for the couch is. But it's like, I'm here with cash in hand, you know? Like some of these people have been trying to sell a couch for a month and a half or two months right. and they just want it gone at this point. Yep. And so I can get couches that are in pretty good condition for really low price points that I take home and then I clean them, whatever needs cleaning. If they're leather couches, even better, but I have a steam cleaner that I'll take out and I'll clean it with that, wipe it down, do whatever I can to make it look nicer. And then I'll just take as professional pictures as possible and relist it on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or I relist it basically. Okay. At a $150, $200 higher than the price point I initially bought it at. And then we run with it from there because I can usually resell couches for $150 to $200 higher than I initially bought them for. I once, oh, wow. I even sold one $400 higher once. So it's a pretty time efficient and profitable side hustle that I just kind of enjoy doing. That's pretty cool. Make sure you have a truck. I think that's important. Honestly, yeah. If you have a tiny little car like the car I normally drive, you are not going to be able to (laughs) flip couches very well. Not going to happen. Maybe folding chairs. All right. Well, Chase, let me ask you this. Is college on the table and does that include student loan debt? College is definitely on the table. I think college, quite frankly, should be on the table for everyone, even if it's simply a fallback plan, because 99.8% of people by the time they're 18 are not in the personal position or the financial position to not go to college, right? This is something I've actually thought about a lot because I know this guy, he's 19. He's absolutely crushing it, didn't go to college, and he's making multiple thousands of dollars per month and just blowing everything out of the water. I know a guy, I talk to him frequently. And so this question is one that I've personally thought about a lot because it's a real question for me. And I mean, it could change in the next year, but college now is definitely on the table because as I said, 99.8% of people They don't have the skills, they don't have the personal drive or the self-development or the financial situation to be able to not go to college. If you're capable of going to college, you should be because it's like the standard. Like if you go to college, you're pretty much going to, as long as you play your cards right and go into a major that is, what's the word I'm looking for? Applicable to an actual field. Like if you're getting a, a major in, I don't know, the history of Rome, you're probably not going to get a job. You're going to struggle to get right. well-employed. But I currently plan to go to college with a major in computer science and a minor in business science. So between those two majors, I'm going to have a very applicable skill set that allows me to get a job in pretty much any industry. Or if I want, just go off and start my own business in a programming field. Because tech is what excites me. I love tech and I love programming. So I'm going and trying to get skills that can easily be applied to any profession, anywhere. And I could get employed as a computer technician pretty much anywhere if I come out of college with a coding degree. Yeah. I never intend to like work a job job. I want to own my own business. And I'm taking steps towards that now as a young person. But it's always there as a fallback. And I'll always have those skills if I need them. And do your parents pressure you to go to college? Do your parents talk to you about money? A lot of young people aren't that interested in talking about investing or entrepreneurship and all that stuff. What's it like at home in terms of that environment? So college, my parents have pretty much told me, you're going. (laughs) 
And I think that's the situation for a lot of kids. Like, I almost think in the modern day, it's not so much, mom, I want to go to college. Like, that's not this conversation that most people are having. Like, mm-hmm. if you're having a conversation like that, you're probably going to be like my other friend, my 19-year-old friend guy, who's like, mom, I don't want to go to college. And that's the difficult conversation you're having if you're a young, successful entrepreneur. So my parents have pretty much said, you're going. And since I don't at this time have any objections to that, I've not exactly fought them on it. But in terms of financial talk in my own home, it's somewhat ironic to me because I find that I actually have more interest in most financial markets than my parents do. Now, don't get me wrong. My parents are completely financially capable. They know what they're doing. They are fantastic with budgeting. They've done an amazing job of building their assets over time. And even recently bought a Airbnb rental house that we stay in part of the year. Like it's a vacation house for us and it's an Airbnb rental the rest of the time. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. They are financially savvy. They know what they're doing. And definitely some of my financial ability, my mindset of being frugal, of always budgeting comes from them. But in terms of actual interest in financial markets, I'd say that that interest more comes internally because my parents aren't super active in investing. They have a 401k that they put their money into, but beyond that, they don't do a whole lot of investing. They don't invest in crypto and the real estate asset just came recently in the last year or so. So that interest has been mostly internally motivated and my interest in real estate, crypto, stocks, et cetera, whatever asset class you want to talk about has mostly come from me. And that conversation isn't really one that's happening in the house. Like my brother and sister don't talk about those things at all. It's not a huge interest for them. It's mainly me going out and doing my own research. Cool. And you get to talk to a lot of cool people that are doing these kinds of things. So you get little tips and tools that other people might not. What would you say is one of the benefits of working in a family business? Like what are some of the things that you've learned that maybe somebody else doesn't get that edge I would say that most people probably can't drive a tractor um, or plow a field or a forklift or run a giant factory level donut machine. So I guess there are those actual technical skills that I can do. And then there's things like I've been working since I was like 13. Right. Like working, working. I was working four and five hour shifts at 13. Then at 14, I was up to like six hour shifts. And then at 15, it was like eight hour shifts all week. You know, like my summers for the last three years have been 30 to 40 hour work weeks, you know, which don't get me wrong. There's times where I'm really not feeling it, but it has imbued this work ethic in me because since 15, I've been in this family business and during rush season, our rush season is in the fall. So I'll be going to school, starting school and our rush season starts at the same time that school starts. So I'll be going to school and then working 40 sometimes in extreme cases, like 50 hour work weeks at the family business right? while going to school. And so it's embedded in me this work ethic that to me, a normal 40 hour work week isn't that intense. You know what I mean? In terms of the workload. Yeah. Because in the past, I've worked 40 hours on top of going to school for another 40 hours. Like I'm 17 and I've done 80 hour work weeks and more before multiple times. So it's this sense of work ethic and like, mm-hmm. oh man, I had to work two hours after school. Dang. Like it's not that big of a deal for me. Yeah. So working for long periods of time, working hard, having to be smart about the way that I'm doing things isn't something that's unfamiliar to me. And I've been in situations at the orchard because I have worked there for a long time where I've actually had to manage other people and make 
decisions on the spot about things that are happening. Like, you know, angry customers dealing with donut shortages. I have to be reactive and think on my feet with situations that are happening. And I'm trusted to do that. I've been doing this for a while. I'm an experienced member at the orchard and they trust me to make the right decision. And so I think being put in that kind of a situation as a young person is a bit unique Mm -hmm. for me, at least has kind of molded me in a way where I'm able to think better on my feet. I'm able to manage people better to where like when I'm in school, managing people as part of say a school project isn't that big of a deal for me because I'm used to managing 10 cashiers at once dealing with angry customers and shortages and stuff. Mm -hmm. That is one of the biggest skills that I think I've been taught, the ability to take charge in a strenuous situation and also that ability to just work for long periods of time, uninterrupted, focus in on what's important while also seeing the whole scene, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, but I do have to ask you this because you drive a tractor, I've driven a tractor (laughs) when nobody was looking. (laughs) I sometimes put it into third gear going over a hill when I shouldn't have. So did you ever take advantage and drag race your tractor when maybe in one of those moments, you just, you couldn't help it. I mean, it's a tractor. They're a lot of fun. So I don't know that I've ever drag raced against another person on a tractor. Now, don't get me wrong. I could definitely see that happening. I don't think I've ever actually drag raced anyone, but I've usually, when I'm driving a tractor, we have tractors that actually like cart people through the fields and stuff. I'm usually not doing that. Oh, so you don't just get to have the tractor with just the little, like I had free reign. Yeah. So. so I'm usually doing work. Like we have this giant lawnmower that we attach to the back of a tractor. Think like a medium sized car, like two cars wide. It's this huge mower that can mow entire apple rows at once because we're yeah. primarily an apple farm. We have like 250 acres of apples. So normally that thing's attached to the tractor. But there's maybe been a time or two where I went a little bit faster than I maybe should have pulling a giant mower. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you have to. And we don't talk about that one time that I bumped that tree and it fell over. (laughs) It happens. Things happen on the farm, okay? Sometimes you don't know how those trees fell over. It just ended up like that. Exactly. I worked on a farm and I loved it. But yeah, I did do a few things when uh, nobody was looking. So It's an experience. It's definitely an experience. It's an experience that I think not a lot of people get. And like in the moment, it might suck. Like if you're bailing hay, it sucks in the moment, but you look back on it, it's a fond memory, you know? It's pretty cool. All right. So we're going to jump into assumptions about Gen Zers. Sure. I did a little bit of research on Gen Zers because obviously I'm not a Gen Zer. So here's a couple of things and I want to see if this resonates with you personally. So according to online sources that can't be named (laughs) because I don't remember, Banking habits, this generation has seen struggle of millennials and has adopted a more fiscally conservative approach. They want to avoid debt and appreciate accounts or services that aid in that endeavor. Debit cards top their priority lists, followed by mobile banking. Does any of that resonate for you? For me personally, I know that I am very conservative with money. Like I have a budget tracking sheet because I've seen my own spending habits get out of control. And I went, oh, (laughs) you know. And so I have a budget that I personally adhere to. I know that most of the friends that I have are very financially conservative. Like they don't spend a whole lot of money. Obviously, this varies person to person. There are always going to be people who are not financially responsible at all and blow through money and have no money to spend. But for me, the majority of people that I'm around are financially conservative more than like just outgoing and spending. They spend a lot of their time accumulating money to the best of their ability and not a lot of time spending it. And it's usually on like more essential purchases like car repairs or stuff like that, that 
people in my generation are going to be spending money on. It definitely resonates with me. Okay. The idea of trying to be more conservative with your money and mobile banking, like you said, being able to always access your funds and having a debit card. Yeah. Okay. This one definitely sounds like you. They have a strong appetite for financial education and are open to savings accounts at a younger age than prior generations. So do you focus on saving at all? I definitely focus on saving. Obviously, my income fluctuates throughout the year because I, first off, work for myself a lot of the time. And the money that I make working for myself has increased over time. And then obviously working at the family farm, it's a seasonal business. But I do have saving goals every month, depending on what I can guess my income is going to be. I usually have a pretty good idea. But I have saving goals every month for how much money I want to save. And I also have investing goals. I have goals for how much money that I want to put into various asset classes. Because when I think about saving, I'm usually saving up to invest for things. So okay. a big goal of mine is I want to buy a real estate investment, like a house. Of course, it's a house. It's real estate. Well, it could be a duplex. It could be a farm. But I get you. Yeah, you get the idea. When I graduate high school, because I want to go to, when I go to college, I want to actually purchase a house near the college so that I don't have to have tons of expenses blown on staying in a student dorm or even paying for rent. Mm-hmm. I want to be the guy who like has four of his buddies hang with him and then they pay rent. And they pay the rent. They pay the rent <laughs> and I have, I get the house. But that's like a big goal of mine. And so when I think of saving money, like all of my liquid cash, I more think of that as that's going to be my down payment for this, my down payment, my cost for repairs, et cetera, for this house in the future. All this other stuff I have, or I'm dollar cost averaging into the stock market and cryptocurrencies. Like that's, to me, that's investing now, whereas my savings are more saving for an investment in the future. So I definitely have a focus on saving because I have an idea of what those savings are going to go to. Okay, awesome. Well, just a quick aside, because you mentioned cryptocurrency. Besides Bitcoin, do you have a favorite crypto that you think is like the new runner up? I personally am Ethereum Maxi. So the second largest crypto by market cap is called Ethereum. It's really interesting because looking at the market, you have Bitcoin and that's the one that everyone knows about. And then there's Ethereum, which is half as valuable, which means it's still worth like several hundred billion dollars. And I am personally very bullish on Ethereum because it is almost the polar opposite of Bitcoin. Bitcoin has this network built around it where the entirety of the network is built to support the currency. So you have Bitcoin and everything that's built around it is meant to support the value of that currency. And that's all it really has is it's just Bitcoin. There's no actual utility to it. It's just Bitcoin is there to be Bitcoin. It's called digital gold because it's like that. Gold has no real utility besides being gold. Whereas Ethereum, it's more the token that you're investing in. The currency itself is built to support a wider network where you have actual applications that are being built that use Ethereum. Ethereum is able to exchange for lots of other cryptocurrencies. There's utility behind the currency. I don't want to go too deep into it because it would take hours. It could take hours, but yeah. But the currency is built to support the network instead of the network being built to support the currency. And so it's almost a complete flip of what you see in Bitcoin. And that's why I'm so bullish on it. That's awesome. And I would say to people listening out there, you have to do a little bit of research. Yes, you do. Don't just go buy Bitcoin because your friend said, my grandmother got rich off of Bitcoin. You got to actually understand what you're talking about and these different platforms and there's mining and there's all kinds of different things that go on with the crypto. So I have done hours and hours and hours of research on the crypto industry. A lot of times I'll hear people put Bitcoin and crypto as the same thing. Right. And they could not be more wrong. So definitely, if you're interested in crypto, go do some own research. 
look up some videos on YouTube. They do a fantastic job explaining. And there's lots of currencies out there. Oh, yeah. All right. Here's another assumption about the Gen Z folks. Gen Z likes the idea of working for themselves, but are risk averse, practical, and pragmatic. Their entrepreneurialism is actually more of a survival mechanism than an idealistic reach for status or riches. Mm. Would you say that's true for you? I would say so. Or do you want the status and riches? Okay, obviously status and riches are always part of the equation. Like, eh, sure, why not, right? I wrote something a while back that basically started with, I want to be rich. Who doesn't want to be rich? It'd be cool to own a yacht. Come on, man. Right. But the idea that it's a survival technique is like, that hits home. Because I think one of the biggest things that I've seen is how fragile job markets are and how easily people can be fired or be unemployed. Like even me with friends who aren't entrepreneurial, they always talk about how their main goal is building out skill sets so that they're easily employable. So that if they do get fired, they can always go and work for themselves if they need to. They can flip cars if they really need to. They can go hired at another company. And I feel the same way. That's why, remember I said right at the beginning, like for college, it's a fallback for me. It's building out skills that allow me to be employable if need be. And I want to be an entrepreneur because it gives me freedom and it means that I don't have to rely on other people for that money. I don't have to always be worried about getting fired. So the idea that Gen Z, like it's a survival technique, I feel like is really accurate because for years now, the world has been shifting more and more towards like fragile job economies where people, they stay at jobs for shorter and shorter periods of time. And there's always more competitors that can pay you more, that can do whatever. And markets are able to collapse. I mean, we even saw mini collapse this last, I'm sure people have noticed, but across like the last month and a half, the Fed has stopped the money printer and it caused a lot of financial markets to just bottom, which when you see something like that happen, it reminds you like, dang, you know, when there's money flowing, it's good. But when money stops flowing, it can be dangerous. And so that idea that it's like a survival technique. Yeah, I definitely feel that. They can turn the tap off at any time. Yes, they can. Uh, So let me ask you this. This is one other assumption. I want to see if this feels true for you, that there's this desire for working for companies that maybe have more of an impact out in the world or that are socially conscious, that more aware of, oh, I can't even find it here, but more about like gender and equality, all those kinds of things are more in the conversation than maybe in older generations where people were just like, I'm just trying to get ahead and I don't care if I beat somebody else, but that there's more self-awareness and an attempt to be socially just and things like that. Does that play a role for you? For me personally, definitely. Because the way I see it, and I've used this analogy with my friends a lot, is that my generation in particular, we've been born into this world where social media and always being present in the world and always having the world being present in your life has just been a constant. So as we've watched the world get more progressive, that's just been our life. You know what I mean? Right. So for me, it's always been a thing that like, oh, if you're super racist, you get canceled. Like that's just a reality of my life. (laughs) And gender equality, it's always been a reality of my life. That's just how everything is. Like you see it online. If people are really harsh and staunch about genders, you have a lot of people that don't like them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so while there's a lot of, obviously all super political topics, whatever, But all of this has been very present in my life. And I would say that a lot of Gen Z is more progressive than previous generations because that's just something that's always been in our life. This idea of being super progressive or being more forward thinking is just constant here in the head. 
And so as the country as a whole or the world as a well, maybe, maybe more the country as a whole becomes a bit more progressive, <laughs> our generation is just there. And we're just at the forefront of that because it's always been a part of our life. So when that comes back to working, when I think about it, I'm like, would I want to work for a company that's more racist or something like that? Like even just thinking about it, I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that one, you know? Like it's definitely true that we want to work for more socially conscious companies. Because I think a lot of people in my generation want to see a more equal future, at least in terms of what everyone is capable of. And that goes for being socially good and like being more conscious of the climate or in the effect that you're having on the actual world. Because that's been another thing that my generation has seen a lot in our life is like global concerns over the state of mother nature have been huge for my entire generation. And so Thinking about that and always being conscious of that has been a reality of our entire lives. So being in a company that's more conscious of that is very forefront for us. That's cool. Well, Chase, we are at the Fast Five. Fast Five, which is brought to you by Cube Money, a cash envelope system made easy. Real financial time awareness without the hassle of tracking expenses and carrying cash. All right, so Chase, we got five. They're going to be fast. There's just five. All right, let's see what happens. What's the hardest lesson you've learned about money so far? Oh, gosh. If you don't keep track of your spending habits, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> that, that is definitely true. What does financial success mean to you? Financial success to me is being able to do whatever I want with my time. Time does not equal money. I want to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Awesome. Will Rogers said, too many people spend money they earn to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Can you think of a time where you've ever done this? Actually, no. Because that is something I've thought about before, and it's something that I actively avoid. So I don't think so, but I could be wrong about that. Okay. All right. But the intention is there not to do that. The intention's there. So that's awesome. If you had to describe your relationship with money using an emoji, what would you choose? You know the one that has money eyes and the tongue sticking out, and it's like, I like money on the tongue? Yeah. That's how I feel about money all the time. <laughs> nice. That's a good emoji. I like that one. Do your parents make you contribute financially to the household? Actually, no, I just have to get my own gas, which is really nice. Although I do end up buying a lot of food sometimes, you know, when I go on shopping. Okay, so you're getting a free ride is what I'm hearing. You're getting a free I'm ride. I'm getting a free ride and I'm real grateful for it. Trust me. <laughs> okay. All right. Just checking, just checking. So we're at the M&M moment. We're at our sweet spot, money and motivation. What is something that you can tell our listeners as a financial practical tip or a piece of wealth wisdom, something that you do that you found to be really helpful that other people could do? Honestly, it all comes back to really keeping good track of my spending habits. Because like, that's something that I learned really quickly. There was this period where I was working a lot at the family orchard. I was working for myself and I was part-time employee of this other company. And I was working all the time, but I was also making a lot of money. And because I was making a lot of money, I went, well, I, may, I can spend a lot of money, bro. I'm making X amount per month. I'm pretty much a god. And so my spending got really out of hand and I spent way too much money in the span of a month. And ended up blowing like a third of what I had earned, which was a lot. Like that was a lot for how much I earned that month. And I went, Ooh, and it went to my head. And so keeping track of my spending habits is like the biggest thing for me. And I have this nightly routine. Like when I'm getting ready to go to bed, there's a couple things that I have to do before I go to bed. I got to put all my calories into a spreadsheet, got to put all my sleep hours into a spreadsheet, and I have to track all of my daily purchases in the spreadsheet. And by putting that in every single night, it's one of those last things that kind of comes into my brain. 
So like if I look at my spreadsheet and I see that I've gone out, if I've eaten out like four days in a row, I start to be like, oh, and I see that that those four $10 meals, 40 bucks in the last four days. I'm like, whoa, we got to slow this down. And I've gotten a whole lot better at not doing that. But it's a really good, like almost check yourself before you wreck yourself system. Yeah, because I'm able to visually see every time that I spend and having a goal budget for each month. I'm like, okay. No more than $200 this month. That's the thing. And I got to think about that in advance because if I have a big purchase, like December, it's like $500 for this month because it's Christmas shopping time and I got to be ready. But like, if I know that I have a big purchase coming up, that means that I need to dial it back going out to get food. Like me and my sister, we can't get ice cream every other day. You know, we got to be careful this month because we only have $200 to spend. So one, tracking my money. And two, having a goal budget for every single month is one of the most effective ways I found to curb my money, my money spending habits, which means that I simultaneously have more money to invest, save, do whatever with. Like that's the biggest thing for me is budgeting. Yeah. And maybe if you're crazy rich, you don't have to worry about budgeting because you can't spend your money fast enough. But I'm not crazy rich. So that's my number one. That's my number one tip. And I feel like most <laughs> people aren't crazy rich. So budgeting is always a good idea. You know, I love that. And Chase, what I love about this whole conversation is there's such a intentionality and a self-awareness and being very conscious of the spending. And you didn't name it by name, but the fact that you and your sister go without ice cream, delayed gratification, yes, not having to have everything in the moment is so important. And this ability to self-correct, the course is off, you're spending a little bit too much money, but you're looking at it and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I'm feeding the ego not my budget. Let me step back a second and course correct. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of older folks out there still will look at the budget and go, yeah, I probably shouldn't spend. Yeah, let's do it anyway. <laughs> and that ability to stop yourself and say, no, I actually see the bigger picture. I'm looking for the long run, the long haul, and actually being able to advocate for your future instead of just compelled to take care of any impulses in the moment. And I love that. And you're willing to get out there and get educated, reading about cryptocurrency. You're looking at the different things and actually educating yourself versus, oh, I'm just going to let's throw some money at it. And I hope something sticks, <laughs> even though I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really great. I appreciate your fresh approaches. And I am a frugal person myself. So I appreciate that there's all these things in place that you're actually intentionally doing, like every night looking at the budget, looking at recording your calories, all of that stuff is so important if we want to have the life we say we want to have. Right. And it sounds like you're on track for that, even going to college, even if you're not sure you want to do it. Precisely. But we're going to do it anyway, make mom and dad happy. Yes, sir. Where can people find you online and social media? And where can they hear about the teen financial freedom? Yeah, it's the group I work with. They're awesome. I actually host the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm a co-host with a good buddy of mine named Terry. So if you can find us over at the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there. Tons of great content going out there, everything ranging from self-improvement to finance to investing, et cetera. It's a lot of me and Terry and our guests who are sometimes kids and sometimes like adults like we have Bob here. I think Bob has been, I think you've been on the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast before. I have been on. So we have a great mix of me and Terry documenting our journeys, talking about the struggles that we face to professionals like Bob talking about their journeys and giving us professional insight to just kids coming on and asking us questions. We did Dave Ramsey style, like 
financial fix for a guy once. He had like sold a car that he'd been working on. He made like 15 grand and didn't know what to do with it. So we came in and we helped him with his budget. We helped him invest his money. We did it all live on the podcast. And that was a really, really cool. cool episode. So we have a wide range of stuff that we talk about on the podcast. You can find me at Chase Gallette on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not super active on Instagram, more active on Twitter because I spend a lot of time on there just seeing what's happening in the market. Because for some reason, Twitter is where all the crypto people go. So you can find me there. Let's see if you go to the Teen Financial Freedom website, which is just teenfinancialfreedom.com. You'd probably be able to contact me through the form there. Just ask for me if you want to talk. If you want to, DM me on Twitter, Instagram, reach out through Teen Financial Freedom. I'm always happy to talk. That's awesome. And I highly recommend people that are listening that say, well, I've got kids, but I don't like talking about money. Send your kids to the website. There's a lot of great blogs. There's just a lot of great conversation. And for me personally, because I'm a money nerd, seeing all these young folks actually getting excited and involved. You know, I did not grow up with these kinds of tools or that environment. And so it's a great resource. So I really hope people check out teenfinancialfreedom.com because there's a lot of great stuff there. Chase, hey, thanks for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. It's been enlightening. And good luck with finishing out school. Don't work too many 80-hour weeks while you're wrapping up. Don't worry. At most, two or three more. (laughs) All right. All right. Thank you, Bob, for having me on. It's been awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn something new about your relationship to money today? Maybe you have a friend who has some financial blocks or beliefs that are holding them back. Please share this podcast so they too can get off the roller coaster ride of financial fears and journey towards financial freedom. To learn how to have a healthy relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. We'll be back next week with another perspective on money and the emotions that bind us. (laughs) 